Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. What makes them industry giants? Get ready to take a peek inside and learn their secrets of success. This is Silicon Valley Insider, the show that demystifies the valley and helps to elevate your business to the next level. Now, your host for Silicon Valley Insider, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Miko Matsumura, who is a general partner at Gumi Ventures and the founder of Evercoin. Miko is very well known in the technology space for being an open source software evangelist and one of the original Java evangelists for Sun Microsystems. In today's tech news, I first want to bring up a New York Times article, which is talking about how companies are getting back to work and the steps they're taking. Uh, They feature my old company, Cisco Systems, and how they will be checking employees at work before allowing them on site. Now, the article implies that there's technology involved in this, but speaking to my former colleagues, they actually say right now it is a test strip for your temperature. But I do expect that automation and technology will be coming to determine whether or not somebody can go on site. Also in big news is Amazon is going to ban police departments around the country from using their facial recognition software for the next year. Facial recognition software is powered by artificial intelligence. Just due to all the concerns right now with police activity, Amazon has just made a statement that they're just more comfortable not allowing uh, police forces to use this facial recognition. The founder of Reddit, Alexis Ohanian, who's also the husband of Venus Williams, um, he announced suddenly that he was going to resign his seat as chairman of the board in favor of promoting someone of color. And so it was just announced that Michael Siebel will be replacing him. In a surprise announcement, Just Eat Takeaway, a European food delivery company, announced that they were going to acquire or merge Grubhub for $7.8 billion. Now, Grubhub was just recently in talks to merge or be acquired by Uber Eats. So it's very interesting that because that deal doesn't go through right away, Just Eat Takeaway from Europe and Grubhub are going to do a deal together. It's expected that they will have a combined $600 to $700 million in orders. Twitter just made an announcement that they are going to send you a reminder before you tweet that you actually read an article that you retweeted. So back to how artificial intelligence works, Twitter will now predict whether you actually read whatever you're going to retweet before you retweet it to ensure that there is more validation that the user actually took the time to think about what they're tweeting. So this is all going to be very interesting in the new normal. And that's the tech news of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Miko Matsumura, who is general partner at Gumi Ventures and a co-founder of Evercoin. Miko, it's been so great to have you on the show finally. Oh, it's terrific. Uh, It's great to be here. So let's start off with what are you currently working on? General partner at Gumi Ventures as well as the co-founder of Evercoin. I know you're all over the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. Uh, Tell us about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do. Uh, I was actually working uh, at a startup company, a co-founder of this Evercoin, which is a highly secure mobile wallet and exchange for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. When actually uh, Gumi Ventures approached me uh, 
They said they were looking for a general partner in the Bay Area who was a blockchain person. And, uh, you know, so for me, it became a really exciting opportunity. But at the time, I was really, you know, thinking, well, I'd really like to continue with entrepreneurship as well. So, you know, if there's a way we can organize it so that I'm able to do these these two things, uh, you know, I'd love to be able to do that. So that's that's kind of why I'm wearing these two these two hats. It's a little unusual. Yeah. And I mean, you actually have a life like me before blockchain. Uh, what were you doing before that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it goes back a ways. So, you know, uh, recently there was a birthday for the Java programming language and it's pretty <laughs> recent, actually. It was the 25th birthday of Java. So, you know, I actually was part of the uh, original Java team uh, as a chief evangelist. So, you know, that was where I kind of got my start here in Silicon Valley. So I've been in Silicon Valley, uh, believe it or not, more than 25 years. So I worked at Sun Microsystems then. And ever since then, I've been really obsessed with open source software, uh, particularly Java software of all things. And, uh, you know, it's so funny to see it being 25 years old because, you know, it, it to me, it becomes this feeling like a uh, COBOL or, yeah, I don't, I don't know what an old language is anymore. I guess Java is the old language. So, you know, pe- people think, wow, that's for old people. Well, well, two thoughts on that. Um, I love sharing your background with Sun Microsystem. It puts us in the same generation as I cut my teeth at Wells Fargo and then spent my formative years doing Cisco's uh, .com. So Sun put the dot and .com and we were powering the internet. Um, I, like I, just had Dan, I just had Dan Scheiman on on my last show, who's the first investor to Zoom, and he handled corporate development for Cisco back in those days. And what's interesting about Java being 25 years old and the open source comment is, I think there's still to the masses this thought that blockchain cryptocurrency is used for money laundering and it's fake and it's still something um, very mysterious. And I just want to say, because uh, where I started on blockchain, you were in the midst of it. I was looking at it at the Bank of Tokyo, MUFG, and we're looking at more like a platform, not necessarily something that we were investing in. And so I just want to make sure everyone knows blockchain as a technology is built on open source software, which has been around for decades. And Miko's leaving proof of that. I appreciate that. And that's really the lens through which I view this. And so, I mean, there it may be slightly rose-colored glasses, you know, because open source software is really, uh, you know, it's just a bunch of developers. So it's highly technical and it's really nerds that are just giving away their work for free, right? So they're really working to build software and then they're just contributing it to other nerds and saying, here, why don't you use this? Uh, it won't cost you a penny, you know, and here's a license, right? So it's a license that that just generally allows people to do almost anything they want, right? So it's it's really kind of very much, it's kind of almost like hippies, you know, there's a lot of kind of gray neck beard Unix programmer type. So it's, you know, it comes, it's a very funny culture. And I got to say like this whole Bitcoin blockchain thing comes with, uh, I think, a few different kind of characters. So, you know, I would say that, you know, culturally, you know, in some ways I came into blockchain, you know, pretty innocently, because I really was like, oh, it's open source software, like, how bad could it be? You know, and obviously, there are funny people in there, for sure. Yeah. And, and I came into it as a narc. So coming on the banking side, where I couldn't personally <laughs> hold any cryptocurrency, but we could evaluate the heck out of it. Um, it was with the lens of what is this going to do to the banking system? And this is 2013, right? So this is not today. Wow. This is, <laughs> yeah, this is when uh, Bitcoin, I think when I first 
started looking at it. It was about 275 ish uh, per coin. So, Whoa. Uh, <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, you know, recently uh, knocked above $10,000 per coin. So, you know, I'd say it's uh, it's gone. It's grown up a bit since then. A little bit volatile, though. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, and it's it's funny because I feel like uh, one of the narratives that people have around it is that it is kind of solely a speculative asset, right? That that's the only thing people are doing. And I actually think that's not quite correct. So there are other things that people are doing. And I think, you know, the thing that's amazing, Paul Krugman wrote a piece I think in the New York Times, an op-ed about Bitcoin, and he basically said, you can't buy a sandwich with it, therefore, it's not worth, m- therefore, it's not money, right? And then on top of that, he said, like, because it's not money, then it has no value, right? So, so this, it's just, it was just a stunning chain of illogic, you know, I was kind of amazed that he had won so many accolades, you know, for his, his rationale, because... Uh, the thing that's interesting is people are using it and they have there is a practical application. And I would say that there's really several different ways of looking at the same application. But I would say that the core application is essentially it's hedging. Well, so from a financial hold, hold perspective. That, yeah. OK. Hold that go ahead. thought because I want to we're, we're out of time in this segment, but I want to come right back to hedging in our next segment. So of course. Uh, Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, special guest Miko Matsumura who is a tech evangelist, been in the Valley for decades and is very well known in the venture space and the blockchain space, the crypto space. Any questions or comments about today's show, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back with more of Miko. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest is Miko Matsumura, who is a general partner at Gumi Ventures and a co-founder of Evercoin. Welcome back, Miko. Oh, good to be back. So, Miko, we just started touching this in the last segment. We talked about uh, still in the present time, there's a lot of uh, uncertainty, mystery surrounding cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. And a question that comes up is, is there really any intrinsic value in something that is uh, ephemeral? Yeah, absolutely. So let me answer that because the thing that's fascinating to me is that people have this kind of way of thinking about it where they think, oh, well, gold has intrinsic value, right? And so what is the intrinsic value of gold? It's basically that it's used in industrial applications, right? So the idea behind the intrinsic value of gold is this notion that like, oh, somebody's using it for some purpose and they put it on printed circuit boards and it conducts electricity in some special way. So like, you know, we all know and it. That, that that's about 2% of all of the gold is used for those kind of applications. That's intrinsic value, right? So, you know, people say, oh, Bitcoin has no intrinsic value. What they don't understand is that it actually does, which is that it's being used essentially almost like an insurance policy against government money printing, right? Because what we know, so someone said, um, Bitcoin is not a get rich quick scheme, It is a don't get poor slowly scheme, right? And so what does that mean? What it means is, is that if you look at the value of the United States dollar since 1913, it's actually lost 93% 
at least of its purchasing power. Right. And you can just see it. You can go Google this. It's very well known. And so the point is, is that it just keeps dropping and dropping and dropping. Why is that? Well, I think in the 70s, Richard Nixon removed the bimetallic standard. So the United States dollar is backed by full faith and credit. Right. So it's the United States. It's backed by debt and it's also backed by taxes and it's also backed by like an active military with a lot of like missiles and tanks and airplanes and things. But like, you know, but the point is, is that um, if you look at that, what's happened recently under covid is you're starting to see rampant money printing in the form of, you know, the Federal Reserve Bank is now actually directly buying corporate bonds, which is kind of like an astonishing twist of events, right? And if you look at the balance sheet in 2008, which was the collapse of Lehman Brothers, what happened was, was the Federal Reserve balance sheet bounced from about a trillion dollars to about four and a half trillion dollars with programs like quantitative easing and like things like um, the TARP program. If you remember the toxic oh, asset relief, yeah, the government just started buying like toxic debt. Right. So that was interesting. Uh, so it pretty much hung out at about four and a half trillion until recently. Right. And recently, actually, under COVID, the Federal Reserve balance sheet has pumped up to about six point one three trillion. Right. So, you know, it's it's happening. And and by the way, you know, in case you think I'm picking on the United States, like, you know, I, I'm I'm pretty I like this country. I live here. You know, I was born here and I'm pretty patriotic about it. But like, you know, it's every country. Right. Like if you look at how much money Germany is printing or how much money China is printing or how much money the Japan is printing, like it's it's everywhere. They're all printing. Right. And so, you know, the the function that it's serving is almost like an insurance policy. Right. And one of the psychologies that emerges is this notion that's called Tina. I don't know if you've heard this one, but it's called the Tina economy and the Tina economy. It stands for there is no alternative. Right. And and it's an answer when people ask this question, they're like, why are you guys investing in stocks? Like, why is the Dow Jones industrial average at north of twenty five thousand when unemployment is reaching kind of depression levels? Like what like what exactly is happening? And the answer that we get is we get that it's the Tina economy that actually that there isn't an alternative because the bank lending rates are almost zero. And they may go negative, and at which point, like, there's no reason to keep it in the bank in the in a bank account. So it, now you have to put it somewhere. Thanks, Miko. Thanks for sharing that insight. And, and the follow up to that is uh, going into this thought about how much money printing is happening worldwide because of COVID nineteen and the fallout from that. Um, one of the other things too is you, banks don't have to have any fractional reserves anymore. Yes, yes. That's the amazing thing, right? Which is banks are now absolved from having any backing of anything at all, right? So that's an amazing event because it's it's the total decoupling. So now we're kind of in this state where money is just kind of this weird, disconnected, vaporous substance, you know? And so the thing that I think is really interesting is, is people in the Bitcoin world kind of talk about this concept of sound money, and they're really talking about scarcity and enforced digital scarcity. So there really will only be a cap of 21 million Bitcoins ever. So the opportunity to actually 
actually hold an entire single Bitcoin for a normal human is starting to disappear and will eventually be impossible. It'll be impossible for a normal human to own an entire Bitcoin. I think depending on what your definition is of normal at, you know, less than $10,000 per Bitcoin, it's still maybe within reach for some people. Although I don't recommend you put more into it than you can afford. And to be perfectly clear, like, you know, you can buy any fraction of a Bitcoin. You can buy $5 worth of Bitcoin. You can go to Cash App and you can just buy like $2 of Bitcoin if you want. So don't, so don't get freaked out if you, it's like, wow, it's not like a Berkshire Hathaway stock. Like, you know, you, you can buy, oh, they have Berkshire B. You can buy. You can buy a smaller amount. So, and, and just as a reminder, our show is informational only. We're not giving out any investment advice. That's at all. right. This is not investment <laughs> advice. Don't you know? Check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> but Miko yeah. is an expert, and so um, not in terms of how to invest, but if people wanted to get started doing their own research, getting into crypto themselves, not through us, uh, what is an easy way to get started? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that's really a bit unfortunate about this phenomenon is, is I like to think of this whole asset class as sort of being a janky asset class in a janky time. Right. So it's sort of uh, I think it's called the uh, you know, it's there's just this weird sense that this thing is uh, Bitcoin's a bit like a crying baby. So what you're going to notice is you're going to notice that it it has volatility and it just goes up and down. Right. And a lot of that up and down action is really just speculators that are pumping it up and down. So there's some manipulation in there. So it's not particularly uh, um, attractive from that perspective, except that by crying all the time, it draws attention to itself, right? It, which is just a weird, weird thing that it's doing. But, you know, to, to answer your question more directly, like I would strongly recommend, uh, there's a book by um, Andreas Antonopoulos called mm-hmm. Mastering Bitcoin, excellent resource. Another book called The Book of Satoshi. I know it sounds like a religious text, but it's basically the writings of the creator, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, you know, and and it's amazing, fantastic resource. So, you know, I would suggest reading books. Uh, there's a book called The, the Bitcoin Standard, uh, which is another fantastic book. So, I, you know, I would say read books and I would say don't watch kind of YouTubers and influencers. Don't listen to anyone on the internet, including me, you know, like read some books. Like books are good. There's also another book called The Little Bitcoin Book. Another amazing book. So like, you know, read books. Like books are awesome. Like don't, don't listen to internet people tell you to buy things. Like that's horrible. That is really great advice, Miko. Um, thank you for sharing that insight. Uh, I'm glad we did a little deeper dive because I think it's we 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 are not always aware of how many people still aren't um, knowledgeable about this yet. And I think, given the state of the economy, um, I just like you am a big believer in why my parents came to this country um, in pursuing liberty, pursuing freedom, and yes. economic opportunity. And with all the money printing, uh, although back to your point of Tina, there's something that we just have to do. At some point, the merry-go-round stops. And whether it's gold or whether it's Bitcoin or whether it's something else, um, we have yet to see how this economy can survive this kind of impact. 
Yeah, it's very we're in uncharted territory. This history has never been written before. We're it's real. I mean, obviously we have uh rhyming. So we have like 1917, so we have like a global pandemic, the Spanish flu. You know, we did have the Great Depression, you know, we've had the Great Recession. You know, so the point is is of course we have things to compare today to, but to be honest, like, you know, this level of Federal Reserve balance sheet like there are definitely elements of today where it's just like oh where do we go like what what happens next we don't know and that's the reason why i think the word hedge becomes an important word right because what i really dislike hearing about are people that are like oh i'm gonna like max out my credit cards and buy bitcoin like that's nonsense right like what you really the the mindset has to be that you kind of have to look at alternatives, right? So the idea of Tina is like, there is no alternative. It's like, well, maybe there is, right? And so the question becomes like, how much is that worth? Like, So for example, we talked about gold, right? Like, should you have gold in there? Well, historically, what we've heard is we've heard that in order for central banks to kind of like feel kind of muscular, they collect gold, you know? And so like the buying of gold by central banks actually drives the value of gold, right? So if there's this feeling of kind of uncertainty and scarcity, then the price of gold can kind of go up just as a function of central reserves buying it. So central bank reserves. So I I guess what I'm trying to articulate is, is that nobody knows what's going to happen, right? So the idea of a hedge is that you just, you get some amount of exposure to a bunch of different things and the different things are going to act different depending on how it turns out, right? But if if I were to tell you that I know how this is going to turn out, like, you know, that would, I would either be delusional or I'd be or trying to trick you. We wouldn't you. be here because we wouldn't. <laughs> Absolutely. Nobody knows how this is going to turn out, right? So to me, that's an atmosphere where hedging becomes you know, uh, it's not an art, but it becomes almost a necessity, right? If you have economic means and the capability to invest today, you know, you should be kind of balancing things out a bit. And, you know, I do, I'm here to tell you that it's not that there is no alternative, right? There are alternatives, right? And that, that there needs to be a balanced approach to hedging where you kind of look at, well, gee, I, I wonder you know, a bunch of different scenarios. And and the, and the idea of hedging is really the idea of thinking about what scenarios make sense. Like, for example, hey, if Mico, I need to pause you right there. So yeah, yeah, we'll, no bring it, we'll bring it back in the next segment. Also, I want to talk uh, a lot about what you're doing in the personal security space. Great. So, great. Awesome. Yeah, listening to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo with Miko Matsumura. We're going to come right back. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Welcome to Silicon Valley Insider. I'm your host, Keith Koo. On today's show, I have Miko Matsumura, who is a general partner in Gumi Ventures, as well as the founder of Evercoin, and is well known as an open source software evangelist since his days as being the Java evangelist for Sun Microsystems. For today's cyber tip, I'm going to talk about contact tracing again, but instead of telling you about what contact tracing is, I'm going to actually have you be forewarned that there's a new scam taking place, which is sending you text messages saying that you've been in contact with somebody who has been exposed to COVID-19 and to call a number or click a link. Uh, This is just another form of a phishing attack. 
um, hidden in a COVID-19 contact tracing message. So let me just be clear again, because Apple and Google were announcing how they're going to merge their platforms to do contact tracing. Contact tracing is when using technology, we can predict whether you've been in contact with somebody who's exposed to COVID-19. These are voluntary things right now, opt in, and you actually have to go to your mobile device and say that you want to take part of it. The recent updates into Apple iOS makes it a default feature that you just go in there and say you want to do it or you don't want to do it. But be wary of anybody saying through a text message that they have uh, know that you've been in contact with somebody who's been infected. Because what's going to happen if you're opting in on your phone is you won't get a text message. You're going to get like a broadcast message, like an emergency alert via the application running on the device. And that is going to be different than a text message. I know that we're all very busy. We all get inundated on our smartphones with all kinds of notifications and all kinds of texts. So I just want to be sure that you're able to differentiate between a text message and an in-app notification. And also any text message for any reason, you should always be wary if you don't know where it's coming from. So be safe out there. And that's the cyber tip of the week. Welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm joined with Miko Matsumura, who is a general partner at Gumi Ventures and the co-founder of Evercoin. Welcome back, Miko. Uh, yeah, great to be here. Great show, Miko. Very informative. Uh, last segment, we were talking about uh, Bitcoin, its intrinsic value, this thought that it's there's nothing there there. And you started talking about alternatives. And then we were about to talk about personal security. So why don't we start just with finishing up on our last segment? What were you talking about in alternatives? Yeah. So what I just wanted to cap that off with is just the idea that there really are alternatives, but that the, the thing that you need to try to do is you need to try to think about scenarios and how do you optimize what your holdings are for scenarios? Because uh, here's an example, right? If you're optimizing for the zombie apocalypse, then Bitcoin isn't going to help you, right? Because you can't, you can't eat Bitcoin. You can't like fuel your car with Bitcoin. And you, know, you if can't it's like, eat gold either. You also cannot eat gold. That's my point right so if you're you know if it's mad max then you know you maybe you should get gasoline or i don't know what you should get you should get like guns you know but so my point is is that like you know it's not a there's no asset in the world that's a panacea right you just need to think about like well you know what are some scenarios and and how much do i want exposure for those scenarios paul tudor jones who's a very pretty famous investor you know has has put two percent of his total portfolio into uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin yeah. futures. So, you know, I, I, the 2%, it's not that much, but, you know, he's thinking that makes sense to him. Well, thank you. So I want to shift gears just a little bit because one of the things that we're both really passionate about is security, especially cybersecurity. Absolutely. And, and I, I really did want you to talk about some of the ways people can keep personally safe. And so thanks again for sharing your insight. Yeah, uh, you know, I feel like this topic is a tough one because I'm very passionate about personal cybersecurity and, it, you know, it relates to kind of being involved in cryptographic assets and kind of being targeted by hackers and all, you know, that kind of stuff. Most people aren't as kind of, uh, you know, in that, that kind of milieu. But to be honest, like everyone can benefit from a little bit more privacy, a little bit more security, right? Because things do happen. Like people do take over your accounts or they 
like get in your emails or they send phishing attacks, you know, and you hear about these bad things all the time. So, you know, I, I'm passionate about that. And I actually created a website called safercrypto.org. And, uh, you know, it has a bunch of tips on it. And, you know, I really feel like that's, that's a great, you know, place or resource you can go to kind of learn a little bit more about how to protect yourself online. I appreciate it. Every week I do a cyber tip and it's geared towards individuals and or people who run businesses because it's just so important. We've talked about phishing. We talked about ransomware. We talked about malware. We talked about government attacks. I mean, we talked about pretty much the whole gamut. So I think really the emphasize that ultimately you need to take control of your own security. The theme is that even the greatest technology companies in the world get hit with attacks absolutely Um, my my favorite former company cisco which i own the cisco alumni group i'm sure we'll be talking about it just announced this week that six internal servers were compromised now the customers are affected is limited but you hear about this all the time we talked about where deloitte number one supposed cybersecurity consulting firm in the world a couple years back had a massive email breach as they manage uh, email systems for the government so like six million emails were lost yeah. for six federal customers. The pain is real. And, you know, one of the ones that I wrote about on safercrypto.org is actually deep fake phishing. And the reason why I got excited about this is, is a friend of mine is actually the CEO of an international company who was targeted by hackers using a deep deep fake technique. And the way that they did it is they had someone connect to his general manager of, of Brazil, country manager, and they imitated his voice. And, and they said, I, I, I've got a business transaction I want you to fund, you know, and, and, and it's like, wow. So he kind of blogged about it. And I ended up writing a story for safercrypto.org. But like, so you know, it's amazing. Just to, make, just to make sure I get this straight. Yeah. The CEO of the company, your friend, he did have voice enabled transactions for some of his. Well, no, what he was doing is he just had WhatsApp. And so WhatsApp was just a normal communication channel. And what happened is, is that this hacker masqueraded as the CEO and then started chatting his his Brazil guy and then talking to him and telling his Brazil guy how to like, he's got to transfer money, you know, left and right to take okay. care of some business deal or some, some crap like that. Okay. But, but uh, it, wasn't, you know, it wasn't where the bank was actually had the voice imprint. That, that's what I'm getting at. No, 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 no. It wasn't okay. actually a, a digital authentication. It was more just kind of like, I wonder if we can make this voice sound exactly okay. like this person and, okay. and then fool, fool the, the human. Okay. So, so in essence, and I've talked about this a lot, it's the exact same thing where people are closing their mortgage and the email is somehow hacked into intercepted where they're changing it at the header level. Oh and so like, yeah, that's yeah. So, so, bad. so this is the voice version of that. What I it's was so concerned, bad. Yeah. <laughs> I was concerned with terms of a deep fake to the point where you can actually replicate the exact sound pattern of the individual. And, you know, it's becoming in two factor authentication. Banks are now saying, please use your voice as another biometric identity. Um, yeah. I'm only bringing this up because a lot of listeners are corporate executives who rely on security and there is no foolproof method in biometric. That's why even when you're a government agent contractor and you've used biometrics and it's been compromised, you can never use that again. It makes life very difficult for you for security clearance. 
So yeah, that, that's all I wanted yeah. to make clear. I'm a big proponent of multi-factor authentication. And when you look at biometric, it's kind of who you are, right? But like things like hardware authentication with like a YubiKey type of device, that's kind of what you have. There's also kind of using your phone, which is kind of another thing that you might have, right? And then there's things like what you know, right? Which are things like passwords. But of course, people are terrible with passwords. You know, I'm a huge fan of like Bitwarden and password managers. And anyhow, all of that, all of these tips. The thing that's amazing about personal cybersecurity is, is it's like brushing your teeth. So like nobody wants to do it, you know, or maybe it's more like flossing, you know, so I I really want to make sure that people can spend maybe two minutes a day and just keep improving. You know, that's my, that's my goal. Well, no, I think that's super important because especially as people, most of the show has been getting people comfortable with cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. As you're on this journey, it's not just simply, it's not exactly analogous to bank transactions. There, there are analogies to it. But when you get into the guts of it and what people either, I find there's like three kinds of people. There's people that have uh, enough education and then there's the people who are very cautious, will never touch it. And there's the people who dive right in. And the people who dive right in are usually the ones who lose the most money. <laughs> Because they don't know what they're yeah. doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it's good. It's good to be like right in that happy middle, right, where you actually kind of feel like you know what you're doing. Or if you're kind of just someone who wants the monkey around, you know, do it with small amounts because you'll learn a lot and it'll be cool, and you'll lose, uh, you'll lose, you'll lose some, and you know, all kinds of things will happen. But you know, it'll be educational. And, and that's why I think your site safercrypto.com or org. Yes. org. That's why I think it's important because that's where people can come as they're testing these things out and see how they can keep themselves safe. Because back to the personal security aspect of it, um, you have to take control of your own security. Do not rely on your IT folks if you're in a company. Uh, don't rely on your mom. Uh, don't rely on your son. That's what my parents did for me. Uh, <laughs> rely on yourself, right? Because whether it's your your family member, your friend, or your actual IT department. Uh, nobody can know everything and you have to take your responsibility for your own actions. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, the thing that's tough about it is, is that until you really get targeted, like it's a very bad feeling to get targeted for hacking. And, you know, if things are hacking, you know, are happening, someone took over your Facebook, whatever happened, like it doesn't feel good. But it's almost like dentistry because like when your tooth hurts, you want to go see the dentist. But like, do you want to brush your teeth or floss your teeth at all? Like you never do. So like, you know, that's to me, that's my goal is to make sure that people have an easy kind of bite-sized way of getting into this, you know, so I have a lot of kind of free downloadable resources, open source tools, and, you know, it's stuff that isn't scary or nerdy, you know, like uh, things like the Brave browser, you know, things like uh, Bitwarden, which is a free password manager, you know, so there's just tons of cool things you can download and it's, it's consumer stuff. It's not, it's not super geeky stuff. Yeah. And I, I like both. And I think, uh, Brave is no different than if you're familiar with a browser, it's just like any other browser in terms of usability. Absolutely. It's just more private and it's, um, you know, more secure. There's a lot of good, good things in it. Are there any other kind of minimum things to get started that you suggest? Yeah. I mean, I would say this is that the easiest thing that you can do is get rid of SMS based two-factor authentication. So I I strongly recommend that like as a first step, you can get the Google Authenticator app or, you know, Microsoft Authenticator app. You know, these are, these kind of Authenticator apps are way better than, you know, and banks are even doing the wrong things here where they're relying on, you know, they're relying on a phone number to tell if it's you. 
that's bad. That's really bad. So if you have a if you have a service that you rely on where it relies on identifying you by your phone number, that's bad because hackers can easily get your phone number. And that that's that's a big thing. So if there's any first step in cybersecurity, you know, like get an authenticator app and start using the app. That's great. That's great tips. So Miko, thanks again for being on the show, sharing your insight on blockchain, cryptocurrency, and personal security. Uh, don't go away because Miko's going to come back for the pivot where we talk about the future. Any questions or comments about what we talked about today, email us at info at svn.biz. You can find out more about Miko's personal security tips at safercrypto.org. Always find us on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, and we'll be right back to finish the show with Miko. For questions or comments on today's program, call 1-888-828-7846. That's 888-828-SVIN. Now, back to Silicon Valley Insider. Once again, your host, Keith Koo. Hey, Insiders. Welcome back to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. Special guest today is Miko Matsumura, general partner at Gumi Ventures and the co-founder of Evercoin. Welcome back, Miko. Oh, great to be here. So thanks again for being on the show today. Had a great time chatting about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, uh, how to keep yourself safe using a few tips, more like brushing your teeth. And now we're on the pivot. I want to talk about your view into what's going to be happening after the new normal and in the future. Yeah. So to me, like the near future becomes super hard. So it's a really difficult time to try to predict the future because we, you know, it's so unbelievable where we are. And, you know, it's so it's the future of this history has not been written. But what I do want to talk about is the eventual future, right? Which is that because I come from open source software, what I do know is that open source, this is really Bitcoin is open source financial infrastructure. And what I know from the history of open source is that, first of all, you can't complain about missing features and you can't complain about bugs because what I know from the history of open source software is eventually the developers are going to win. They're going to get it. They're going to get it right. It just takes however much time it takes. I don't know how much time it'll take, but it'll it'll get done, right? So that, so to me, don't bet against open source software or open source software developers. You know, so to me, the, the eventual story has kind of already been written, you know, which is, which is, it ends up looking like this, is if you look at open source software, like it powers the most, most powerful companies in the world. So all the yeah. Facebooks, the Netflix, the Microsoft, powered by open source software, and they're actually more profitable as proprietary software companies building on top. So my mood around something like open source financial infrastructure is that traditional monies and traditional financial services will all be worth so much more and the economy be worth so much more, but all the infrastructural services will be open source. And, you know, I think that is an eventuality. Yeah, you know, I really love this point because I think um, rewinding the clock to two or three years ago during the ICO craze, mm. um, I was yeah. getting a lot of conversations with CTOs at publicly traded companies about this whole uh, blockchain thing. And back then it was still Bitcoin, Ethereum, usually in a context of talking to a, a corporate CTO. And the normal discussion without naming names was, hey, I've, I've plugged in a couple million dollars in this project, the Skunkworks project for the last six months or a year. And we're really screwing this up. And we really wasted a lot of money. And I think that's why I really love what you're saying, because they're so fixated on the cryptocurrency aspect. How do I make this into a revenue stream for my company versus what I really was passionate about is like, you should just think of this as another technology to help propel your company forward and worry less about how you're going to monetize and make this into a cryptocurrency revenue generating thing. More about how you're adopting 
these tools and techniques into your platform to make it a better experience. Yeah, and ultimately the goal of open source software as it's been expressed is really to lower the cost of infrastructure. Right. That's really the effect. Now, if you think that that sounds like a boring, trivial thing, it turns out that when you do lower the cost of infrastructure, more participants can build on top and it accelerates the rate of innovation. Right. Because it's just cheaper for everyone to join and cheaper for everyone to build even more innovation. And that's that's the net effect. So it's a very powerful net effect. Yeah. And, and that's why I really appreciated the history you're giving. So when we had Dan Scheiman on a couple of weeks back, he was really talking about the history of Cisco and how in the late 90s, we and Sun had to create everything ourselves. You know, there wasn't these things you could plug into, there was the APIs. And then what came next was the, you know, cloud generation where uh, we're talking about lowering operating expense. Uh, cloud companies were lowering their expenses far greater than traditional um, hardware or traditional software companies because they're now leveraging these tools. And now here we are another 10 years later and we have all these other startups, you know, startups can open up overnight and they're leveraging these backbones that these cloud companies started up. And so the rate of development continues to get lower and lower. The operating expenses get lower and lower. So if you think about how do I look at blockchain and incorporating that into lowering my overall operating expense, increasing profitability and gaining more adoption, um, I think that is really vital. Yeah, and I think that in the end game, there will only be beneficiaries from open source. And, you know, there people who are not benefiting from it are actually like, why are they, why do they even exist? You know, like they, you, it's, it's free software. Like who can fight that? It's free. Like, you know, it's, it's nothing, there's nothing to dislike. Well, Miko, uh, we're out of time. I'd love to have you come back. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, once again, Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo, special guest Miko Matsumura, general partner at Gumi Ventures and co-founder of Evercoin. Today's show was all about how to keep yourself safe and understanding more about blockchain as a technology and how to get started with Bitcoin. Any questions or comments, email us at info at svn.biz. Uh, look up Miko at his personal security site, safercrypto.org. And we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Silicon Valley Insider with Keith Koo. For questions or comments on today's program or to schedule a complimentary consultation with Keith about your business, call 1-888-828-SVIN. That's 1-888-828-7846. 888-828-SVIN.